Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave and I'm your host and here I am recording the Stand Up Tragedy podcast in the city of Edinburgh. So we're here in Edinburgh sharing our tragedy. We've been doing a live show which finished on the 14th of August and we're sharing a daily dose of tragedy every day as a podcast. You'll hear comedians, you'll hear musicians, you'll hear storytellers, you'll hear spoken word artists and you'll hear people walking the streets of Edinburgh who we've collared with a microphone and got to share their tragic moments with you. We're here as part of the PBH Free Fringe, which is a collective of performers which allows people to come up to Edinburgh without paying for the venues that they're performing in. And that's an amazing thing and it allows a lot of people to make stuff and share stuff that wouldn't normally be able to share it. We're a part of it, as are both of today's performers. So we've got performance poets David Lee Morgan and Faye Roberts. And Faye is the person who heads the spoken word section of the Free Fringe. And we're very pleased and proud to be a part of that section. David and Faye both performed together on the same night. The juxtaposition of the two performances we thought was very moving, so that's why we've put them together in this episode. And here they are for you now. My young love said to me My mother won't mind And my father won't slight you for your lack of kind. And she moved away from me, and this she did say, it will not be long, love, till our wedding day. She moved away from me And she moved through the fair And fondly I watched her Move here and move there And then she moved onward With one star As the swan in the evening flies over the lake Last night I dreamt that my love she came in So softly she came that her feet made no din Then she laid her hand on me And this she did say It will not be long Love Till our wedding day start with a very short apology. I have to leave early because I have a, another appearance on the other side of town and I have to hobble there with my hernia walking down the street like this, <laughs> looking like I'm playing with myself, but I'm actually just trying to hold everything. Okay, the story of the grasshopper and the ant. 
Daddy was a grasshopper. He played the fiddle like nobody's business on Saturday night and Christmas Eve. In the good times, when he was on, he could show you in the palm of your own hand your heart's desire glowing like the moon and the stars. Daddy was a grasshopper. He played the fiddle all night long and slept in the afternoon. Daddy was a special treat, not for every day. Not for every day. What was my mother like? My mother was a wonderful person. My mother was like Stalin. Oh, I don't mean that in a bad way, no. I never understood her. Some people want to say that I still don't. Now and then she made a bad call. Now and then she was a little overcritical. But we all know she carried a heavy load. My mother was like Stalin. And my daddy was a so-and-so. Coffee black down at the town cafe. Daddy drank all night and slept all day. He never worried. He never hurried. Can't see why you gotta make it so much trauma. Cause it's always down to mama. Cause my mother was like Stalin. She was the one who always got things done. Now and then she made a bad call. Playing hardball. But when the chips were down, she won. My mother was like Stalin, but my daddy had a lot more fun. Poor mom, poor mom. My mother was like Stalin. I caused a near fatality once when I said this. It was in the Comet Tavern a couple years after I'd left the party. The guy I said it to had just taken another swallow of beer. When he stopped choking and had gotten his breath back, he said, it was the way you said it, Fred, so sweet and innocent, like you were, pray like you were paying her a compliment. But I was. The first great figure of women's liberation was, for me, Joseph Stalin. Okay, I know this is beyond odd, but it made perfect sense in terms of my life. Both mom and dad had fathers who worked in the coal mines. Both ran away from home. Dad ran away to Hollywood to become an actor. Mom ran away to secretarial school. So, so already we're seeing women's oppression and class differences getting mixed up together. Dad ran away to join the middle class. Mom's active rebellion was channeled into, well, I suppose maybe you could argue that the religious dimension was in operation here, too. Mom's family was Catholic. Dad's was Mormon. The Mormons believed very strongly that you should develop all your God-given talents. As they swept up from Utah into Idaho and eastern Washington, they left behind them a trail of community theater and light opera companies. So running away to acting school, although it seems like a more adventurous destination than secretarial school, was really just going along with the program. But dad was infected with a lot of new ideas in Hollywood. We think he fell in with communists back then. At any rate, by the time we were old enough to know him as anything other than the tall guy with the mustache, one of the first things we got from him was this openness to different things of any description. People, ideas, adventures. 
We were raised to believe that as children, we had the inalienable right to ask why. And if the answer didn't make sense, we had the inalienable right to say, but that's not logical. Astonishingly, some teachers didn't like being told by a nine-year-old kid that their brilliant explanation of something didn't really hold water. It was hard on us, harder still on the teachers, I imagine, and hardest of all on mom. I didn't really get this when I was growing up. Dad was just the guy who always said yes, and mom was the one who had to say no. Dad was the guy who, when he was around, could play Socrates to our Plato. Mom was the one who had to deal with our nonstop arguments day in and day out. This wasn't because dad was off working while mom was stuck at home. It was just that dad worked swing shift on the newspaper while mom worked days, so she was home when we were. Actually, mom was the one who always had a job. Dad usually did. Dad's jobs were usually cooler, acting, broadcasting, newspapers. For the most of the time we were growing up, he was a reporter on the local newspaper. Mom was a secretary, a super smart secretary who ran an office that kept things ticking over for a bunch of idiot savant PhDs at Hanford Atomic Works, but just a secretary. The work was steady and it had great benefits, which came in handy when she got cancer of the lymph nodes and began her long, slow descent into death. I was 14 when they told her she would die. I had an older sister who was away at college and a younger sister three years younger than me. We also now had a little brother, zero years old, who had just been born. That's how they caught the cancer so early. Anomalies showed up in the prenatal tests. They told her that because they had caught it so early, she might live for as long as two years. Mom didn't buy that. My little brother had just been born. She decided that she would live long enough for him to know his mother. She lived for 10 years. Every year they told her it would be her last. She kept working right up until the last few months, not missing a day except for when she had to take time off for radiation treatment. I still didn't get it. My sisters did, of course, but I didn't. Not until women's liberation exploded onto the scene at the tail end of the 60s. By then I was an anti-war activist, an anarchist starting to move towards communism. My dad's ideas, which had seemed so radical and daring in the small desert town of Pasco, Washington, now seemed conservative and old-fashioned. And my mom, I had never got on well with her. She had been so negative, so critical of dad, of me, of my sisters too, although I didn't realize that until talking to them years later. Now I started to look at the life mom had led, a life that would be over in a few years. I started to understand all the reasons for her bitterness. Not the right word. I don't know the right word. By then I had read Engels saying that in the family the man was the bourgeois and the woman was the proletarian. I got that. I started to appreciate that mom had kept our family ticking over just the way she had kept the office at Hanford ticking over. My dad used to say, don't worry, honey. Mom was the worrier. I blamed her for it all the time I was growing up. Now I understood that dad didn't have to worry because mom did. That was the Stalin connection for me. Just like Stalin, mom was the one who got things done. She was the one who did the hard jobs. She had shouldered so many burdens that it made her hard, but she had done it out of love. I still couldn't talk to her, even when she was dying. I wanted to. I finally understood how much she loved me. I realized for the first time 
that I loved her, but we had not talked for so long. The only change was that now I couldn't talk to dad either. Thank you. David Lee Morgan's show is called Love, Science and Revolution. It's on at the Banshee Labyrinth at 12.15 every day. So you should go over and see it. I saw it. It was good. I didn't agree with all of its politics, but I did really enjoy the show. So you should go over and hear what David has to tell you about what he thinks. And a lot of it is very moving, very powerful, and it's all incredibly well written. And it got a fantastic review in The Scotsman. David discussed tragedy with our producer, Bryony, before he'd performed. I was in John Lewis, uh, just a, a block away from here. I'd taken the escalator up, and I'd just taken the exit out, crossing into uh, another kind of pedestrian zone shopping area outside of the St. James shopping area. And on the way out, I noticed these two really cute little kids that I think were, were either Chinese or Korean, I think, and they had these little the kind of caps that work ears kind of caps that you see like Andy Cap used to wear uh, it's an American reference I guess actually isn't it but you know what kind of hats I'm talking about one of them was about I'd say four and the other was about six and they were playing by the 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 door that where you exit from the the, the shopping center and then there's a little street that no one can see this when I'm talking on the mic. I'm designing the street for you. There's a little street that's not really a traffic street, particularly. And then the shopping mall, the, the next shopping mall begins. And they were playing right by the exit, and, and I left and stopped on the other side of the street to rearrange my, my backpack. And then just as I turned around, I heard somebody scream, Stop! Uh, in a kind of a Chinese accent. A guy. And... I looked and a car had just come to a screeching halt and the kids had just, it was their father who was coming in the direction I, from the direction that I was going into and they had seen him and started to run across the street to greet him and just then, out of nowhere, a car came up, slammed on its brakes and just came within inches of running them over and you could see the look of horror on the mother's face and, and the children started crying and but that didn't touch them. It was fine. It wasn't a tragedy. It was a near tragedy. Is that the kind of tragedy that you see in the world around you that still inspires some of the work that you do and the poetry that you write? Tragedy, um, I don't know. I, I, I guess uh, I have a poem about a real tragedy that happened here in Edinburgh that I'm not going to do for you because I want to do something else that takes up the whole 10 minutes that was actually about a, a four-year-old kid being run over. Um, yeah, it happened here. It happened here in Edinburgh while I was up here for the festival in, uh, I'm not sure, in either, whether it was, a, I think it was this, the second time, so it would have been 2004. How long have you been writing and performing poetry for now? Since about uh, twice times when you were born. <laughs> <laughs> What does inspire you from the world around you? I think there's all kinds of things you can, um, and it's different for everybody. Uh, uh, I like to write stuff that has a philosophical edge to it, but then I've also spent a lot of time writing what you might call uh, transgression, 
Um, and I've heard transgression talked about on the Beeb as if it were uh, pricking the bourgeoisie, transgressing against them, but actually transgression the way I discovered it in, in art school uh, and, and responded to and started writing is pricking yourself, uh, telling secrets about you or others that you have no right to tell. What did the audience take away when you reveal something personal? Uh, well, I think that they, uh, it's, they take away different things every time because every personal thing is different. But what, what the transgression gives to the poetry or the performance or the novel or whatever is this kind of power that having broken through this barrier that uh, you carry the, the power of having broken through that barrier into the performance. And I'm not into that right, right now. I'm in, in philosophy politics mode, and certainly my show is all about that. And I'm not going to do a piece from the show. But uh, um, at, I guess what I'm going to be doing is a bit transgressive. It is about, it's, it's very personal what I'm going to be doing. It's about my mom and dad. Love, Science and Revolution is at the Banshee Labyrinth at 12.30 in the afternoon. www.davidword.com is where you can find out more about David Lee Morgan's stuff. Faye Roberts has dedicated much of last year to organising the spoken word section. But after Edinburgh is over, you can see her performing and hosting poetry nights all across the UK. Her show, Other Voices Cabaret, is at 2.50pm at the Banshee Labyrinth. Online, she's www.fayroberts.co.uk and at Faye Roberts. Don't forget, follow us on Twitter at Stand Up For Tragedy, where you can share your tragic moments, hashtag tragic moments. Find us on Facebook and friend us or like us. You can hear the podcast at SoundCloud, iTunes and the Stitcher Smart Radio app. And you can find us online at www.standuptragedy.co.uk. Hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And for now, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Brian Hawkins with audio production from Stephen Harvey. The music comes from Sam Wilkinson, who you can email at radiojuan at gmail.com. The rest of the music was produced by George Brufton, written by the Reactionaries with added bagpipes from Vaughan Granding. I'm Dave, I'm your host, and the tragedy is once again over. It's time to go.